It's the JT The Brick Show. 39-yard field goal for Carlson set up on the right hash. Good snap, solid hold. Field goal is up, and that is good. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Crowd into it. Wilson lifts the right leg, gets the ball. They bring the blitz off the edge, and they get to him. Nate Hobbs coming around the left side. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Open Adams at the 35, racing to the 20, 10. Touchdown Raiders! And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, as we head into the weekend, Labor Day weekend, for everybody who works, everyone who helps build this economy, everybody who respects the end of summer, which we really don't have here in Vegas, as I always say. There's never an end to summer in Vegas, but I grew up back east, and Labor Day was the end of summer, and school started here. Living out west most of my life now, the end of August is not the end of summer. Summer can go on for months out here in Vegas. Just take a look at the temperature this week. But part of our best of Friday, what we're doing, what I did last night with the state of the team. And I want to go back to earlier this week when roster cuts were made on Tuesday and a lot of the columns that I looked at on Wednesday from The Athletic with Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, Vinny Bonsignor in the Las Vegas Review Journal. And a lot of the insiders and people that cover the Raiders who do a really nice job with this particular roster. There's a couple of big points I want to get in here because it was a little bit dramatic. There were some players who did not make the team. Practice squad players are one thing, but some players that I thought would have been on the 53 that weren't. And that's for a number of reasons. We've seen that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, they're building this roster now in their vision. When they got here, they didn't have a lot of time with that first roster. Uh, Some of the players are back, as we know. Some of the players are great, including Max Crosby, a hell of a player. There's a lot of good players on this team that they inherited, but mostly they flip the roster to bring in the players that they want through their scouts and the way they put their eyes on football. And I'm great with that, and I'm usually really good with that with every GM. Every GM, new manager in baseball, new GM in the NFL, whatever sport you're talking about, they have the right to rebuild the team and hopefully improve the team. And that's what we're looking at now as we take a look at this 53-man roster. So, again, it came out on Tuesday, but I looked at it mostly on the Wednesday show as the Raider roster now with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels coming off the cuts here. The big story was Josh Jacobs. They were able to get Josh Jacobs done before or while we were in Dallas, and that's the most important thing. The number one decision of Dave Ziegler was to get Josh Jacobs in the building when there could have been a delay. We knew that Josh would have played on the franchise tag, but he didn't have to because there was a bit of a sweetener there for $12 million potentially if he hits the incentives there. Josh seems to be really happy about it. I think he understands the market and what the marketplace looks like, and I think the Raiders are happy that they're able to give him what he deserves, which is to be the top paid player along with Saquon Barkley, the way these incentives hit. But that was a huge story. So Ziegler and McDaniels now have star players on this team. And it was very I'm very happy coming off a of six and eleven year last year that Devontae Adams is locked up, Max Crosby, and Josh Jacobs, at least for this year. And now they got to get ready for this game coming up at the Denver Broncos on September 10th. And the good part about that is Josh Jacobs has plenty of days to get into full football shape, which it's hard to believe that he's in. But he's getting in there now, working out without the team and the team trainers and the head coaches and doing what they do every day. I'm assuming that Josh was very professional 
and did a lot of that on his own, but we'll see. We have no idea what we're going to see in regards to how many touches he gets, but maybe the coach will tell us next week going in there. Maybe he'll say he's a full go and we're ready to give the ball to him. He's not going to tell any. Josh McDaniels is not going to give any information out on Josh Jacobs getting too many carries or not touching the ball and give that to Sean Payton. So let's all assume that Josh is going to be ready to go. Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback was always the answer. Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell, Chase Garbers got cut. I thought Vic and Deshaun put out a pretty good point here when they said Garoppolo's play was superior last season, but that came with a 49ers supporting cast significantly superior to what he's now working with. I don't know if I agree with that. He's never had a receiver like Devontae Adams, so maybe that opens up his game more. I love the offense. You could talk about San Francisco because they had Christian McCaffrey and Debo and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, who's a pro bowler. That was a very good offense, and that offensive line in San Francisco was better than the offensive line currently in Las Vegas. But I don't know how my, by how much. Don't know that. We're going to have to see this year. So the running backs will be Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, and Brandon Bolden. A lot of experience there with a young player in Zamir White. And I thought in the preseason, they really filled up that room nicely. I love calling the plays of Sincere McCormick. I called one of his touchdowns. Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson caught in Britton Brown on IR. We won't be able to see him. But the key, as this article talked about early in the week at The Athletic, is what is this group going to look like if Josh Jacobs still wants the ball as many times as he got it last year? Last year he was durable, very efficient, and he didn't want to come off the field. Essential. Maybe this year he doesn't want to come off the field, but he has no choice. That they tell him, look, we're trying to save you, man. We're trying to make sure that from week 10 to week 17, you're great because he was great last year and he didn't come off the field. We're going to see what happens here. I want to see what Zamir White can do. I want to see him get some touches in big spots with pressure on him. I want to know what he's going to be able to do in regards to pass blocking. What can he do as a blocker? to eat into Abdullah's snaps as the guys wrote at The Athletic, that's going to be pretty interesting. But in theory, he should have a lighter workload because Josh Jacobs is there. We love Jakob Johnson at fullback. He's the real deal. Now with the receivers, with six receivers, I didn't get Christian Wilkerson, but I saw him play. And if you watched him practice and you've watched him play in the preseason, it's not hard to understand why he made this roster. He's very physical, good player, good hands, did his job. And he practiced well. So Christian Wilkerson earned his way into this six-man receiver core, which is Devontae, Jacoby Myers, and Hunter. The backups are Trey Tucker, DeAndre Carter, and Christian Wilkerson. Now, for Dorsett to be cut with Keelan Cole, I'm not shocked by that. I thought maybe Cam Sims would be the player that would get in there. Chris Lacey's gone. The big decision, in my opinion, came down to Christian Wilkerson and Cam Sims. And look, Dorsett played under McDaniels, as Vic Taper wrote, for the New England Patriots, had a good training camp and was thought to be the best deep threat. But as I've been telling you on this show, Trey Tucker's got to be the deep threat. He's younger. He's got to be the guy that can can get downfield as fast as Dorsett. Dorsett was beaten out by Wilkerson, and Dorsett's 30 years old. And in the exhibition finale against the Cowboys, he had 10 catches, Wilkerson for 122 yards. He won the job. He won the job, and Lincoln Kennedy was talking about it on that broadcast. His ability, when you're playing in that last preseason game, 
most of the time it's players who are not going to be with the team, but there are a few that are playing for the opportunity to make the team. And guess who did? We just saw that with Christian Wilkerson. He did everything he needed to do to make the team, give him a lot of respect, and depending on the receivers, that'll be on the practice squad. The tight end, Michael Mayer, Austin Hooper, uh, Jesper Horstead, uh, Cole Fortheringham was cut. I thought he did a really nice job in the preseason, especially as a blocker. Mayer and Hooper are still in a position to battle for the starting, starting job, according to The Athletic. But we have the rookie ultimately taking the majority of the snaps. I agree with Vic and Deshaun that Mayer was brought in and he shouldn't be brought along slowly, especially in an offense that Josh McDaniels had in the past that was very productive with Rob Gronkowski. And I'm not saying he's Rob Gronkowski, but he should get the same plays and the same routes. Offensive line, Colt Miller, Dylan Parham, Andre James, Greg Van Roten, Jermaine Illuminor, and Thayer Mumford. No surprise there. I think Van Roten had a really good camp, and that's why he's in that position. Justin Heron, Jordan Meredith, there is the backups. They cut Alex Bars. I think he had an opportunity to be evaluated and didn't break the, uh, didn't make the team. Mutai, I like. I want to see him play more, and we're going to see what happens because Dalton Wagner, who I liked his size and strength, goes on IR. Uh, the analysis from The Athletic from early this week, Bars started 14 games last season, largely out of necessity, so it wasn't shocking that Van Roten, an 11-year veteran, took his starting job. I would agree with that. He was better than Alex Bars. I think he's a better player. Now, the defensive line, uh, Bilal Nichols, Jerry Tillery, Chandler Jones, and Max, no surprises there. Tyree Wilson was drafted number seven overall, no surprise there. Byron Young was taken in the third round. No surprise there. Malcolm Kuntz was a previous high draft pick. I'm not surprised. But then we have Adam Butler, John Jenkins, the veteran, and Nesta Jade Silvera out of ASU, where my son is a junior at ASU. We're pulling for Nestor Jade. Isaiah, uh, Isaac Rochelle, Doug Costin, Agoa, who, again, his ability to play with this team, Matthew Butler, Adam Plant, who played at Bishop Gorman in UNLV. A Willis and Tarlis cut. And the Raiders traded Neil Farrell Jr., a fourth-round pick last year to Kansas City for a sixth-round pick. I was a little bit surprised by that. Not shocked. Shocked. It's not my job to know how good Neil Farrell Jr. is. It's Dave Ziegler's job. And he looked at the defensive tackles, even though they drafted this kid, and thought that you know his door was closed here, and he gets another sh- uh, st- a shot, surprisingly with Kansas City, because Kansas City's in a situation where they're losing some depth up front there. The Raiders have six defensive tackles at the moment, according to the Athletic, but that seems like a lot. Maybe we'll see one hit the practice squad and allow the team to add another offensive lineman. Again, that came out on Tuesday night, Wednesday from the Athletic. Linebackers I'm good with. Divine Diablo, Robert Spillane, Amari Bernie comes over from Florida. We made some big plays there. Converted safety, who can tackle and play linebacker. Curtis Bolton, Bit of a surprise. Not many people had him on their projected 53 when they started putting them out. And Luke Masterson, who they like around here, the new regime and the old regime like him. He's got to play well. He's got to come in and play well. They cut Drake Thomas as we spent a lot of time talking about him. He had a pretty good preseason, no doubt. Corners are Marcus Peters, Jacorian Bennett, Nate Hobbs. I like the sound of that. Marcus Peters, a legendary veteran, Jacorian Bennett. A rookie, and Nate Hobbs, who I think could play, he'll play in the slot, 
but can just be a hybrid guy. When a, when a jailbreak happens and the ball is snapped, Nate Hobbs can go with the slot receiver, can go with an outside receiver, and most importantly, Nate's going to have to be able to get off a receiver and make a tackle in the running game. I think that's a big part of him. David Long Jr., Brandon Faison, who was banged up throughout camp, they like him, and Amik Robertson. Amik Robertson over Duke Shelley. Tyler Hall, yeah, that is a controversial, a little bit. Sam Webb, good young player there. When we talk about this practice squad, but for David Long Jr., they like what he can do. They like what he's done in the past, and he's here. Faison, according to the Athletics, started nine games for the Raiders two years ago before playing for the Colts last season, missed practically all of training camp, but still beat out Webb and Hall, who were on the roster last year, and free agent signing Shelley. It'll be interesting to see if defensive coordinator Patrick Graham throws the rookie Bennett to the Wolves or long or face on start the opener. I agree with him on that. Great job by Vic Tafer, who will join us every other Friday as one of our insiders. The starters for the safeties, five Epps and Trayvon Merrig. I think we all agree with that. Isaiah Palomal, who had a nice pick six interception. I'm happy Chris Smith II is on this team because he played and won two national championship games at Georgia. Some people were talking about him on the bubble, and Roderick Teamer can play. Is he an elite player? No, but he knows the system well as we move forward, and I think this group's going to have to be really good because we play in the AFC West, and all these quarterbacks can throw it deep. Justin Herbert's one of the best I've ever seen. Mahomes is one of the best I've ever seen, and Russell Wilson can throw deep. And that's about it here. Daniel Carlson, at kicker. Um, A.J. Cole, no surprise there. And as we look at this roster, it's something I want everybody to think about here on a Friday over the weekend. Is this the roster that you can back and say this is a playoff roster or not? I think you could say this about the offense. I really do, including the offensive line. I think the offensive line helping Josh Jacobs lead the league in rushing is a very good offensive line. Very good. Uh, Can they be great? I don't know we got to get one of these guys on the Pro Bowl. It's got to be Colt Miller. Once there's a Pro Bowl, or there are maybe two, then we could start using the word great like they do in Philadelphia and Dallas, San Francisco with Trent Williams and some of those other players. Too early to say. We have an elite kicking game with Carlson and Cole. That's elite. That's not good. That's elite. And then the defense has an elite player in Max Crosby. He's the elite guy. And the rest of the guys got to feed off of Mad Max. But nice job again. I want to credit the athletic, Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed. That was from the column earlier in the week. I wanted to give that to you again heading into the weekend here as we are brought to you by Resorts World. Head on out to Resorts World, especially with the Super Bowl, F1. Very close to the sphere if you're going to a concert there. But we like to promote their theater and especially what they do at Doghouse Saloon. That's where they have their sports book, their nighttime entertainment and all of the sports at every bar there. They do a great job with food, service, drink specials. Head on out to the Doghouse Saloon as we continue on this Friday. It's a getaway Friday for me. A little bit of a long weekend for me here, but we got the programming you come for. And on Tuesday, we go balls out. Our coverage begins on Tuesday, coming off Labor Day, with a complete breakdown of the Denver Broncos. Guests from the enemy side of the Broncos, our alumni, our players, everybody lined up in advance. They'll be here with me next Tuesday as we kick it off Broncos Week right here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. This is Raider Nation Radio.
it's a tough position. Once you let them go, it's just so hard to, you know, I mean, that's not an easy position to go get somebody in October when you're, when you need somebody based on an injury. And so, um, young, good, healthy defensive linemen, whether they're tackles, ends, or have some kind of versatility to play both. Um, you know, if you have them, you probably ought to keep them, you know, as many of them as you can, you know, within reason. I mean, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to probably keep more than what we have, but, um, you know, I just feel like we, you got to give yourself a chance in the trenches. You know, if you don't do that, um, and you start losing there, you know, it doesn't really matter what else you have. So, um, you know, it felt like we had a competitive group there between the tackles, the ends, the whole room. Um, was competitive. I think, think we had some guys that you know gave us some versatility, play some inside, play some outside, rush a little bit from both spots. I think that's important. Uh, so our depth overall, I think, is decent, and we have some young players, obviously, that are going to need to keep developing and improving. And um, but overall, I thought you know tried to make the best decision for ourselves under that. JT, time. as we continue Friday on the fabulous Raider Nation Radio, 9:20 a.m. In Las Vegas and on the Raiders mobile app, more and more people. I'm just opening up their phone. Do you mind? Can I borrow your phone? Yeah. Do you got the Raiders app? Yeah. We'll just open it up and click on the radio in the upper right-hand corner. If you have a Raider fan who doesn't listen to this show, what can you do to help us and our partners, our advertisers? Just show them the Raiders mobile app. It's free. The radio show is free. It gets a really good stream and download, and we're one of the 32 flagship stations. I don't even know if every team has a real flagship station. We're one of the big ones because we're connected with the Raiders. Thanks to the Raiders for that mobile app and what they do for us. And all the shows you can listen in podcast form at lvsportsnetwork.com. So on the Friday, a little getaway Friday, I'm going to Palm Desert to golf. You might say, why go to Palm Desert in the heat? Well, we don't have a bye week to week 13. I got a good golf hookup out there. Going to golf for a day or two, come back. Uh, yesterday, I did a podcast with my podcast partner, Tom Looney. JT and Looney is where you can download the podcast. We did a summer series. I did summer radio here, which was a little bit lighter and looser. We did the Raiders all-time team, which I'll get to. And we wanted to do something with the movies. I just saw Oppenheimer, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, Top Gun, all of the summer blockbusters. So Looney and I brought in Jackson Murphy, LC Reviews. He's a young film critic. He's only 25 years old. He started out at six, seven years old because he was discovered by Regis Philbin. And he was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And he became really famous for being a young kid who was a movie critic. His inspiration was Regis and also Siskel and Ebert who he was friends with. So we wanted to have him on to talk about a couple of movies, including Oppenheimer and especially Tom Cruise. I have a hook to Tom Cruise. I think he might be the greatest actor of all time. Here's a portion of our podcast yesterday at JT and Looney. Let's jump in with Oppenheimer, the global worldwide release, Christopher Nolan. I thought it was fabulous. I gave it four out of five bricks. The highest rated movies are only four and a half to me. It could have been a four and a half, but it was long, I love movies that are great. If they're if they're long, it doesn't affect me because a great movie, I don't want it to end. Right. This was just wow because it was a history lesson for me. Didn't know much about Dr. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Didn't know much about what was happening after after the bomb was dropped, the two bombs were dropped. And then as they brought in and weaved in Robert Downey Jr. into his role, I think a nomination for him easily. 
I just thought it was a fabulously acted movie. I thought Christopher Nolan, I'm going to hear things and I'm going to see loud booms and all of that. There was some of that. I just thought the acting was tremendous. Killian Murphy is outstanding. He he deserves to be on Best Actor Ballots. He may even win. We'll find out. We got many months to go, but he you're with him the entire time. If you're glued to him, then you're going to have quite an experience. I don't love the movie quite as much as you as a whole. It is long. It's very talky. It goes on a long time. I, I don't think there's as much depth to that Robert Downey Jr. performance as a lot of other people have been saying, but I am thrilled for Emily Blunt, who may finally get an Oscar nomination. She's never had one, but gosh, if there was ever a chance, now is the time. Um, she was very good. And Matt Damon was okay. It, it has its moments. I don't think it's thrilling and compelling throughout and i have some story structure issues but killian murphy wow what a performance well, were you good with going back and telling the story and going back to what was happening to dr oppenheimer as a young student who was traveling through europe to sit down with the best physicists in the world and as he's trying to figure out his form of physics and what he's going to do in that world and be one of the all-time greats there's an albert einstein piece in the movie which is fabulous right. to me and then the next thing you know i love the pressure and the countdown for the war as hitler and the nazis were developing this and then tom they were trying to tie in well wait a second Remember, that's when the Russians were our allies. Right. And we knew the Russians were bad people. And we knew if we gave them our secrets, let alone try to keep their spies out of our labs, that would eventually, Jackson, come back to haunt us. I thought they did a brilliant job, Nolan, in piecing that story together of how complicated that time was building the bomb. Yeah, I like the middle hour of Oppenheimer the most, the lead up to the bombs and the testing and and making that work. A lot of the trial aspects to me, not as compelling, not as interesting. Um, we've seen I've seen a lot of movies lately. Uh, Golda, the Helen Mirren uh, film where she plays Golda Meir. Her also on trial, looking back on her actions and should she be charged for her actions? It's the same kind of deal with Oppenheimer. I don't think that's quite as thrilling, exciting, interesting or powerful as what Oppenheimer was actually doing. So I like the lead up, the, the talkiness, not as much of a fan of. Golda Meir, born and raised in Kentucky, fun fact. Now, I want to know this. What were the structure issues you had with Oppenheimer? Um, the back and forth was a little much. The the going back and forth from black and white to color was a little much. The timeline was a little odd. Um, early, the scenes with Florence Pugh, I couldn't get into the momentum fully. So yes, not not his best movie, Nolan, I still believe is Dunkirk. I still believe Dunkirk is Christopher God, Nolan. what a great movie. It is. It is. The way he structured that with the three storylines and how it all came together at the end and that power punch of emotion, I think, succeeds more than the structure here in Oppenheimer. Well, what I love about Christopher Nolan is he just dropped Rami Malek in. Oh, nothing. Academy Award winner for Best right. Actor playing Freddie Mercury. I like Jack Quaid in the movie. And then also my wife couldn't believe whatever happened to Josh, Hart Josh Hartnett. He had a right. big role in this movie. Where was this guy for the last 15 years in movies? So I, I love the fact that they were adding in actors throughout the movie that I was saying, oh, wait a second. This is a big moment in the movie, maybe the biggest, and it's Casey Affleck. And, right, and right. I love that Nolan had the ability to put that together. What is that like when filmmakers go out to actors like this and say, you will not be the star of the movie. We have Gillian Murphy to do that but we're going to bring you in in some type of ensemble piece. What's that like? Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to be in a Christopher Nolan movie. Right. So everybody 
going to say yes or reunite with him. Gary Oldman. I think the Gary Oldman scene in this yeah. is very good. Um, so, Truman. Yes. Oh so my the God, reunion- he played Truman in the White House. I know. Oldman, it was unbelievable. Right. Who was so good as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. I'm glad he won the Academy Award for that. So, yeah, it's everybody wants to jump in. Everybody wants to be a part of this. And Universal, look, Warner Brothers was with Nolan uh, for 20 years with all his movies. He went to Universal now with this and look at what it's done. And maybe he'll stick with them for the next movie. We'll have to see. Uh, Jackson Murphy joins us on the podcast, JT and Looney, as we look at the summer blockbusters. Just a few more on Oppenheimer because award season's far away. I just think there was some great acting performances here. Do you think this is going to be one of the movies, and you don't love it, that's going to have 11, 10, 11 nominations, best picture, director, actor? I think Downey is your best supporting actor right now. You got Downey there. You could have a best supporting actress, as we talked about some of the other actresses here. Does it have the feel that the the Academy is going to look at a movie like this and say it was such a smart movie and a big-budget movie, we're going to reward it? I think, and the older, I'll, I'll use that phrase again, the older Academy members, yes, will also jump in on this and some of the younger ones as well. I do think, especially with other movies dropping out now, moving to next year, like Dune Part 2, that took away a lot of slots uh, or opens up a lot of slots in the uh, technical categories, whether it's uh, makeup and hair or costume design or production design, visual effects. Um, so yes, I think Oppenheimer could be a Best Picture nominee, one of the 10 director he's never won he his first nomination was dunkirk so we'll see killian murphy's got to be in there emily blunt downey jr probably will get in at this point um and then yeah the writing and the music um will probably be nominated yeah it could get double digits when it comes to academy award nominations and academy award winners when you cheer for someone to win are you looking for someone who has a performance daniel day lewis i'm performing or someone who has a more seamless, realistic style. Mm. So I guess it's the performance. I mean, that's the right. fun part about the award season is you're rooting for people based on the performances than the films that you like the right. most. So you're going along that ride. That's why because some actors don't like the word performance. Right. Because they, yeah. they want to be more immersive and sync themselves in. But yeah, you're right. rooting. I think more of liking the performance than the person. But if you have a personal connection to a certain person that's nominated in respect, then yes, I think you, you root for them too. That's an interesting question. Yeah. It's, it's lights camera Jackson for everybody. It's a must follow LCJ reviews. He's been a friend of ours for a long time. A legendary movie critic sat down on the couch with Jay Leno was real dear friends with Regis Philbin, who I recently saw on Facebook, you posted his passing again on the anniversary of his death. You always mm-hmm. make sure you remind everybody of how great Regis was to you. Yes. And this year, uh, I decided to go to where he is buried. He is buried at Notre Dame. And so went wow. to India. Oh, my God. His beloved Notre Dame, he is buried at the cemetery there. And uh, I went there um, to see the grave on the third anniversary of his passing. And it was something I felt like I I had to do. Uh, and it was it was nice to be able to do that. Regis was an incredible uh, friend and an influence on my life. Well, we'll go into that a little bit because, you know, I, I know one of the reasons you had to do it. It's the right thing to do, but it's because you knew him. Why did you have to? Um, It's just it, it's something I felt like um, 
needed to have bucket list kind of thing. I realized, you know, if if I have the chance and I had a few day window to go to Indiana, stop by Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and some other places, thought, you know what? On the anniversary, I have the time to do it on the day. It's a micro yeah. question, Jackson. Tell the listener, both of them, <laughs> why you uh, why you needed to go and what he did for you, how he was to you. Regis inspired me, along with the late Roger Ebert, who was incredible as well. Regis inspired me to get into broadcasting, television, talking about movies, interviewing people, sharing my opinions, uh, just being myself in front of the camera or in front of a microphone. Um, and as a friend, uh, we had met up on many occasions. I sort of knew the last time I saw him had a feeling, you know, if this was the last time, it felt like a good last time. And that mm -hmm. was a couple years prior. So... Yes, to be able to go to Notre Dame, a place he loved, a place that has a, a theater performing arts center named after him there, um, a place he loved, a football team that he loved, and being at that campus for the first time, which is incredible. Um, it's something I had to do, I needed to do, I wanted to do, and I'm so glad I did it. I'm happy you shared that with us. Uh, Jackson Murphy is our guest, our summertime series of podcasts, JT and Looney, as we wrap it up. And we wanted to talk mostly about movies here, but Regis had an impact on you. He was a mentor to you. You saw the campus for the first time and you tied in Regis. That's very important. A lot of people tie in that campus for the first time because they see a performance or they go to a Notre Dame football game. You did it for the right reasons. Bravo. Thank you. All Thank right. You. I have a bit that I worked on. I don't do a lot of bits. Wow. A bit. <laughs> I worked it out. I worked it out in a pool. In a pool, I'm very comfortable in a swimming pool. Right, it's 108 degrees as we. You were a legendary swimmer at your high school. I was a swimmer. I was a very good swimmer, growing up. So I'm in the pool with my wife and a bunch of friends. And you used to groom that. long before everyone else. I did. I shaved down. Uh, <laughs> so we're sitting there in the pool and we're talking about movies, having a conversation like this, and I got very vocal and very animated when I said, "Tom Cruise is now officially the greatest actor of all time." Everybody looked at me and said, what'd you say? I go, it's over. And they said, what do you mean? And I was prepared to tell them the movies and the dramatic pieces he's in is some of the greatest I've ever seen. Ron Kovic on the 4th of July. Ron Kovic's from my hometown. Amasapequa. A few good men. Right. Then we go to some of the great movies that he's ever done. I'm just talking dramatic roles in Rain Man. Rain Man. He really should have been an Academy Award. Beautiful so movie. The, the Academy failed him. But then when he saved the movies with Top Gun, we get it. But when I saw Mission Impossible and when he did the motorcycle stunt off mm. the mountain, okay, and practiced it and then free-falled with a parachute and landed it, it wasn't someone he handed off to in the sky who landed for him. He did it on his own. I said that Stallone could never do this. Schwarzenegger could never do this. Nobody could ever do this. So I think he has the chops of De Niro. He has the chops of Brando. He has the chops of my favorite, Daniel Day-Lewis and Tom Hanks. And none of them could ever do it. None of them could ever do this. So, Jackson, I have moved Tom Cruise <laughs> not only into the Mount Rushmore, I'm calling him, in my opinion, the greatest actor of all time. Wow. What a statement. He's up there. I think he is for his contributions to cinema and for his acting. Jerry Maguire as well. What a great film. Even Rock of Ages a decade ago. He was just fearless. He is fearless when it comes to acting, movie making, telling stories. What he was it, Magnolia? What was the one with the raining frogs where he played? Magnolia, the he was in Magnolia. Oh. So he is he is the movie star. He is still a movie star. But it's a Mission Impossible movie, which I thought the last one should have been the last one. 
This one I thought was just okay and didn't make a lot of money because it got overshadowed by Barbenheimer. So his star meter, which was so high last summer with Top Gun Maverick, has come down a little bit because of the underperformance of Mission Possible. Wait a second. We've had De Niro do some of the worst comedies in the history of (laughs) cinematic theater. We've seen duds for Tom Cruise. Nothing against uh, Otto, but we've seen a good movie. But we've seen Cruise put together a library of some of the great dramatic performances. I want to get back to the stunts. He's doing his own stunts that are visibly impossible, life-threatening and dangerous, and he's doing it now all the time. So if right. he just did it once and it was the biggest send-off of his career, his evil can evil moment, I get it. But Jackson, he's doing it in every movie and he's carrying these movies. I think that's a big part of being a cinema legend. And yeah. how are they how are they gonna get him an Academy Award? How are they, is, is it really gonna just be a lifetime achievement award? Yes. 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 It will because but there's nothing wrong with, but still, I, I it would be nice if it was for a film. It would. I don't think he's going to do many dramatic unless he makes a career shift and says, I'm finally done with these action movies for a while. I'm going to do a dramatic role, then maybe. But I don't think that's going to happen in the next five years. Um, So it will be it will be a career achievement Academy Award. So he's not going to make a shift and play Groucho Marx in a film or anything. I don't think unless somebody says, Tom, it's time. But he's so focused on these action movies. Still, I think that's where he's at. Okay. wow. All right, so again, thanks to Jackson Murphy. Please follow him. He is a great follow. If you're going to go to the movies, you want to go to a movie that's good. You want to go to a movie and spend your money on something that's quality. If you go follow LCJ Reviews on Twitter, that's Lights Camera Jackson, you'll see this Emmy Award-winning film critic who's only 25 years old, and he'll send you on the right path if you're going to go to a film. When we come back, more of the roster of the Raiders, what the Raiders are doing going forward. And then when we come back on Tuesday, we'll get into our full coverage and everything that we're going to be doing. And we got a lot to get to. Everything we're going to be doing on the countdown to the Denver Broncos at Mile High. So you can see all of that. You can find it all here from our morning show to this show up to Q Myers. Hey, congrats to Q. He's going to go back to Bristol to debut his new national show on ESPN Radio. How cool is that for Q? So there's exciting times here. And next Tuesday... Our first edition of the Raiders Roundtable. Really proud podcast. I'm associated with Q, Lincoln, Kennedy, and we'll have various guests this year. And next Wednesday, Matt Millen will be our first alumni guest, brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. Every Wednesday, I'll have an alumni on to talk about the history of the Raiders and the current team as we continue here this Friday, heading into Labor Day weekend on the flagship of the Raiders. This is Raider Nation Radio. I mean, the, we've talked a lot about this time of the year. Um, you know, they're tough decisions, and uh, a lot of things go into them, a lot of discussions. A lot of people, um, you know, are evaluating our team and, um, you know, what would be best going forward and, you know, just trying to look at everything from all sides and see if we can't put together the the best group that we can. It gives us the best chance to compete every week. So, um, I think it's still a fluid process. There's still some things that I would say are uh, up in the air here uh, relative to practice squad or, you know, those kind of things. And 
Um, but right now, I think we've tried to put together the group that we feel, you know, best about going forward. And, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some things that get tweaked here. JT, as we continue on the flagship of the Silver and Black, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. A lot of conversation this week about the practice squad. Who got waived? Who got traded? How do you feel about the roster? There's great ways to debate this. All over the interweb or all on my Twitter, at JT the Brick, and my new Instagram at JT the Brick Hits, H-I-T-S, JT the Brick Hits. We'll be talking about the Raiders and have some good content next week as we kick off our coverage of the Broncos, the Donkeys, whatever you want to call them there. Uh, Denver is a tough game because of Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. The rest of the team, I don't think it's going to be overwhelming. I don't. They have a very good secondary, but Devontae torched that secondary. They got such a good secondary and young players, they fired their head coach. So the defense is their strength. Their wide receivers are banged up. They get Philip Dorsett, so he knows our playbook a little bit. He does, but they don't have Devontae Adams, and they don't have Josh Jacobs. Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo so far in their career. Jimmy Garoppolo, as of now, is not going to the Hall of Fame. Russell Wilson is. And Russell Wilson will only go to the Hall of Fame if he kind of saves his career, which train wrecked last year. And Sean Payton's going to want to turn that around quickly. All summer long, we did the Raiders' all-time team. Really enjoyed that. Brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo on a Friday. Have a fresh bucket of Modelo's with me. And I asked uh, Bobby to bring about, bring about one of our conclusions and we talked about the wide receivers. This is going back to when we debated the greatest wide receivers of all time. And Art Powell, Art Powell, who was in this conversation, is a senior finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's only three players there. Steve Mongo McMichael, obviously Randy Gratishaw of the Broncos, and Art Powell, who had his best years with the Raiders. So that's pretty cool, along with Fred Bolitnikoff, Cliff Branch, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, all the receivers that we talked about over the years, uh, Swervin, Mervin, Fernandez. I like the group of receivers we talked about. Let's take a look back at the conversation we had and the conclusion of our all-time team at wide receivers. All right, here we go. The Raiders' all-time team, according to me, and Raider Nation Radio. This one was unique. I said trippy was the word I used in the opening monologue. Here's what I have. The all-time team in no particular order. The first four, the starters. Fred Bolitnikoff, Hall of Famer. Tim Brown, Hall of Famer. Cliff Branch, Hall of Famer. And Art Powell. Art Powell, who's still on the senior finalist list. We hope that he becomes a Hall of Famer. Art Powell from uh, 63 to 66. 56 games for the Silver and Black, 4,491 yards. That's fifth all time. The only person in front of him is Todd Christensen and the three receivers that I mentioned here. 41 touchdowns. He was just a consistent, big-time player and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, wide receiver, along with when we talk about Fred Bolitnikoff's years from 65 to 78, Art Powell was right there. Now, along with Art Powell, I could have added Warren Wells. Because everybody who I talked to about Warren Wells, who had a troubled life, and he had personal issues in his life, he played from 67 to 70. He had 3,634 yards. He had 42 touchdowns. His longest was 94. I could have had Warren Wells four. 
I talk to enough gold jackets and people behind the scenes and people in the building, and we were torn on this one. I decided to go Art Powell over Warren Wells. Warren Wells leads my second unit of the reserves of the four next greatest of all time. Uh, I have for the reserves Warren Wells, Jerry Rice, and I put in parentheses 54 games because I know a lot of people are going to talk about that. James Jett, who played his entire career with the Silver and Black. James Jett, all-time for the Raiders, number six on the receivers list with 4,417 yards and 30 touchdowns. Swervin Mervin Fernandez, ninth all-time on the receiver list. Uh, He put up big numbers when he was out there, 3,764 yards. He played in a total of 86 games. He's in the Hall of Fame of the Canadian Football League, and he was a really good Raider receiver. And I added Willie Galt. Willie Galt, who played with the Raiders from 88 to 93, he played in 94 games, Willie did. A lot of people remember him more as a Bear, understanding why with the Super Bowl championship and the Super Bowl shuffle. Willie played a lot of years for this team, right under 3,000 yards with 17 touchdowns. So I got Willie Galt on that list. My honorable mentions include number one, Devontae Adams. I really struggled with this with Devontae. I wanted to put Devontae on the second team. Uh, we're going to put him on the first team for obvious reasons, but the second team signifying that I believe he'll be one of the all-time Raider greats. But there are just too many players who played 80, 90 games. James Jett played 140 games. 140. I couldn't remove James Jett for Devontae Adams, even though Devontae Adams has an opportunity to get a gold jacket, and James Jett does not. Other honorable mentions, Jerry Porter. Uh, Jerry, I really struggled with. I could have put Jerry on that second team with Mervyn Fernandez or James Jett. I put him as an honorable mention. He was eighth all-time with receiving yards and right up there near the top. He was a very good player with 30 touchdowns career with the silver and black. Amari Cooper, as we mentioned. Amari Cooper gets an honorable mention. Played a couple of years with the Raiders, 2015 to 18. That's 52 games. Rice played 54. Warren Wells played 56. That's enough games for consideration. In the first two years, two of the best rookie years ever in the history of this organization, came from Cliff Branch and Amari Cooper. I put Doki Williams on the all-time list because Doki also played a lot of games for the Raiders, 74 at wide receiver with 25 touchdowns. Those are really good numbers in a short period of time from 83 to 87. And as a fan favorite for me, Mike Ciani. I put Mike Ciani on the list as a Super Bowl champion from 72 to 77. He played 74 games, had 13 touchdowns, and you know Cliff beat him out. What would it have been without Cliff Branch? It would have been Ciani and Bolitnikov. The reason I included Mike Ciani in this list, and I could have put Bobby Chandler in for the Super Bowl, is Mike Ciani played in the greatest run in the history of the Raiders, 72 to 77, including a Super Bowl. Mike Ciani is the classic definition of a Raider who played in the greatest of games. The greatest of games. So I have him in there as an honorable mention. If you have any clapback on this or anything you'd like to change up, how do I have a list where Jerry Rice is on a second team? Well, I thought I made it clear he played 54 games. If Jerry would have played 80 or 90, he still would have been a 49er. The greatest receiver of all time was a hell of a Raider, but he's known as a 49er. And I think everybody understands that, and everybody can kind of come to grips with that. So that's where we're at. I think it's a pretty good list. 
So that was a tough one. We didn't want to alienate anybody. Didn't want to get anybody upset. We tried to include as many wide receivers as we could. And I don't think that anybody was going to get off the big three, which was Tim Brown, Bolitnikoff, and Branch. Bolitnikoff, Tim Brown, Branch. How, in any order you wanted. We didn't put them in order, but we just had those three. And then when you listen to how we were able to do that and figure out where to slide in Jerry Rice or Art Powell or some of the great Raider wide receivers of all time, it was not easy. It was not easy to do that. And the Raiders had a lot of great players, impact players, at the wide receiver position. All right, so that summer series is all up at lvsportsnetwork.com. And lastly on this, I want to thank all of our listeners, all of our listeners who participated in that. Chris in West Oakland, Raider 66, Chris Eaton. I can't even name everybody. Raider man. Everybody who came in. Snow Raider. Everybody's got a Raider name. If I forgot you, I apologize. There was probably 60, 70 callers throughout that summer series, and that helped me a lot. As we're wrapping up the summer here, heading into Labor Day, we ventured out to do something unique. It was not partnered with the Raiders at all. It was partnered with Raider Nation Radio. And from what we heard from our partners, our bosses here, it was really good radio. And I just set it up. The listeners were fantastic, the guests. And it was cool that we were able to talk about the history of the Raiders and their all-time team. JD, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, heading into Labor Day.